Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozeman. I'm mom to two boys, middle school teacher, homeschooler, and writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 34. Can you believe it? Yay, we're getting there. (laughs) Right? 34 is old. That's a lot. We've read a lot of books. I think I've read at least 40 some books just this year. Easily. Oh, yeah. I I do. But I have a goal. Do you make the goal? I always make the goal in January, like how many I'm going to read. I think I said last year, I think I read 50 books. And this year I was going to shoot for 60 because, you know, I like to have a goal. But like, you know, out of those, I probably have five adult books. (laughs) Right. And I have like separate lists because, you know, that's how I. I'm like that. But not in a spreadsheet because you're not a fan of spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm not a fan of spreadsheets, but I do have lists. I love lists. And so I have one list for middle grade books, one list for picture books, and one list for grown up books. So oh altogether, those would be a lot. Because I my goal is to read 100 picture books, 50 middle grade books, and I think like 20 grown up books, which I'm slow on the grown up books. I'll be catching up. Yeah, they up. take more time. So what are we talking about today? What's this one? For this episode, we're celebrating Latinx Heritage Month, which runs from the middle of last month, the middle of October, with some Latin writers and Dia de los Muertos themed books. Yay! This is the best month ever. The best month ever. Although technically, Dia de los Muertos starts November 1st. But anyway, it's all part of this wonderful time of the year. It is the most wonderful time of the year. And if you saw my living room right now, you would be like, wow, that's a lot of skulls, girl. (laughs) And my poor husband, like we just, my, my kids love it too. Like we literally don't give two shakes about Halloween, but we are really into Dia de los Muertos. So we have skulls everywhere. And every time we see skulls, of course, we make skulls, we pick up skulls, we pick up skeletons, you know, like the calaveras are everywhere in our living room. My poor husband is like, what have I gotten into? I mean, like every day he comes (laughs) home and our living room is not very big. It's just chock full. I mean, there are like garlands of skulls. There are skulls everywhere. There are boxes of glittery skulls, plain skulls, painted skulls. I just love them. But I have collected these things for, I think it was like, oh my God, it was like over 20 years ago, I went to Oaxaca and I totally fell in love with it. And I fell in love with this like entire concept So it's been a long time coming. And now that apparently the rest of society is into this too, because you can even find skulls at the dollar store now. It's just like, it's heaven. I'm like, well, where y'all been? It's been a great holiday. For it years. is like now. the best holiday. Okay. It originated in Mexico. I have to say as much as I love Halloween, it is way cooler than Halloween. Way and it is cooler. nothing like Halloween. It is so cool. It's all about celebrating your ancestors and people who have died in your family. And I mean, people go and have picnics at graves. They create altars in their homes with food for their past over loved ones. I mean, it's just a time you're trying to remember them it's just such a cool holiday. So, so cool. And for me, it's always been a big one too, because this is like the anniversary of when my dad died is the end of October as well. So really? it was kind of, you know, kind of helpful too. But my kids last year, when we homeschooled both, when I homeschooled both of them, they made um, altars for their grandpa that they never knew, obviously, because I was a kid when he died. So they don't know him. And it was such a great opportunity. Actually, they did it for both their Turkish grandfather and their American grandfather. We don't have any grandfathers in our family. <laughs> They all die dead. young. Yeah. But it was really cool because they got to ask me a bunch of questions about my dad. They got to ask my husband a lot of questions about his father and they could kind of like trace similarities and they, we, you know, we dug out old pictures and they made these really cool altars. We have a lot of dead relatives, unfortunately. So they got to learn a lot about it. And my younger one even asked, my older one's back in um, in a charter school this year, but my younger one asked if he could do an altar again this year. And I'm like, oh, yeah. 
obviously this is mom's favorite thing. We yeah. made pan de muerto, we the bread oh, of the dead, did? which is oh, yeah. yeah, and it's super time consuming. P.S. But it is it is really fun. And my older son is like he's like the bread baker in the family, so we'll see if he makes it again for us. But I was thinking about making that is it atole the um it's like a cornmeal kind of mush kind of drink thing. It sounds yeah. so good. I want to try that sometime. But. You should try making the pan de muerto because it's really good. You put the little bones on the top. It's got like an orangey flavor to it, and then you crust it in sugar. It's kind of brioche-ish. Yeah, <laughs> brioche-ish, okay. if that's because it's egg bread, right? Isn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's definitely it's it's a yeast bread, but it's got a it's really light and it's good. It's really good. It's good. It just takes a time. That would be good to do with your preschoolers. Oh, that would be fun. Take some in. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to remember people that have passed, I think. In my family, I'm sort of the family historian, like all the older generations have entrusted me with their stories and I've interviewed them and I've done all of that. And I just feel like this is an extension of that. It's all the same thing. Because like you're saying, it's an opportunity to tell the next generation stories of people who've passed on from your family. And what an wonderful opportunity to do that and to make sure that those people aren't forgotten and their stories aren't forgotten. Well, and I, we always studied like under the Dia de los Muertos umbrella, there's one concept of the three deaths. And so the first death you have is when you physically leave the earth. The second is when your spirit leaves the earth. And then the third is when no one remembers you. There's no one left who remembers you. Yeah. So I always like that always stuck with me. And I'm like, that's it. Yeah. Because you know me, I love a good cemetery. Oh, I and was around just going to say that. Yes. You know, I love cemeteries, right? And so around here, the cemeteries, it's insane. You have cemeteries here that are, I mean, I live in Plymouth, Massachusetts, for God's sakes. So we have literally 1600s and you're looking at these, you know, like there's Joe and Mary and Barry and everybody else. And they're the even across the street from my house, the cemetery has headstones from the 1600s, mm-hmm. like time of death or whatever you call it, death date to life date or whatever. These things are insanely old and no one knows them. Right. You know, outside of the handful of people that came over on the Mayflower and only the men, of course, got uh, got any nods on that one. Nobody remembers them. So that's it. Like once there's nobody left to remember you, it's done. And it's sad. It is sad. I, I think that has probably been what has drawn me to cemeteries my whole child, like my whole childhood. I've always been fascinated by them. We are so dark. We are so freaking dark. <laughs> but like I would, I remember one time down in um, like kind of central Indiana, there is a really cool park that you can hike through. And in the middle of it, there used to be like a town that doesn't exist anymore, but there's still the cemetery is there. The thing that's so fascinating about it too, if you're interested in history at all, is you can see like when different pandemics or illnesses or something, because like there'll be, you know, a whole bunch of people dying at the same year, you know, and things like that. So it'd it would like be so sad because you could see tombstones for kids who were young and died and stuff. And I would like get teary eyed. I'm sure my friends thought I was nuts, but I mean, that's the whole point, right? Because no one's remembering them and they had a story and I'm sure it was interesting. Right. I mean, it is dark, but it's cool. And I have another friend. She's the same way. She loves it. Like anytime we can walk through, we go out walking or she's like, oh, let's do the cemetery. Let's go to a cemetery. Let's go to a cemetery. I'm like, I'm with you. You say the word. And they are fascinating. Some of them here, the art on some of them is just like blows my mind blows my mind. And the kids like to kind of figure out like what period or where that person is from. It's still, it's super cool. Well, when I, um, when I came out to visit you, that was one of the things we did in Boston for sure was go to the cemeteries. My my guys indulged me on that one. 
Well, I mean, in Boston, it's a win-win. You get the history too. Oh yeah. And, and just like you were saying, the artwork on the tombstones is amazing. It's so cool to see and to see how things have changed over time, like what we put on them and stuff. If I could go out and I could do the whole shebang, like if I was in Oaxaca or it was like culturally wherever I lived at whatever time in life and I could go out there with all of my marigolds and take out everything and wash the grave, decorate the grave, I would be in it in a heartbeat. Oh, me too. I would. I just think this is like the greatest concept of like how to remember somebody that you loved, how to bring your family together, how to sort of like get through the grieving process. I just, all of it, I'm a hundred percent in. So watch out. I might be, maybe someday you'll be visiting me in Oaxaca. You'll be like, oh, there's that crazy white lady at the end of the street. There she goes. Okay. Well, she's the one that's into it more than anybody. Else. She's the one that decorates everybody's grave. Okay. All right. She's got a lot of memories. Nobody's being forgotten here. Right. She's the one that's been making sugar skulls since September. Okay. Gotcha, girl. Oh my God. So what's, what else is new? How's fall out there? Is it weather good? Um, it's been, you know, off and on we'll have beautiful days and then we have rainy days and then we have hot days because it's Indiana. You get all the weather at once, no matter what. But, um, it was my 20th wedding anniversary last Wednesday. You guys are so old. I know. That's all right. We're at 15 next month. Are you? Gosh. prison. doesn't seem like it's been that long, but we should get out of our orange jumpsuits soon, right? <laughs> You're at 20, I'm at 15, we're good. <laughs> we went down to the property and I texted a friend. She's like, oh, happy anniversary. And I said, oh, thanks. We're down at the property. And she goes, oh, you're looking at your future on your anniversary. And I was like, oh, that was such That's a nice. sweet concept. I would have been like, are you looking at your plots? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Margie thinks my husband's going to take me out of the middle of nowhere and murder me. <laughs> or vice versa. Uh, but yeah. I don't think you could do that without calling me first because he's a big guy. <laughs> and you're going to need help. You're short and he's not. So it's going to take two of us to get him buried. I'm just saying. It's just maybe even three. I don't know. We might have to call in a ringer because oh, he's God. very tall. <laughs> he's very tall. And we're very short. But. <laughs> Oh, Thank God guy. my husband's not big. Yeah, he'd be easy. <laughs> we can take him down. It's no problem. Oh, that's horrible. Okay. Oh. Well, we are in a dark place We're today, joking. so we might as well keep it dark. <laughs> we might as well just go dark all the way. Oh, well, all it's right. bog season here, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite time of about. year. It is bog season. So we went down um, yesterday, the bogs behind our house. It's kind of like a win and a loss at the same time because the generator that pumps the water from one pond into the bogs has been running nonstop for the past seven days because it takes a long time to fill a bog. So all you hear at night is, <laughs> but um, one of them is done. And we went down yesterday. It was really, it's really cool. It's so cool to see like the whole process in action. And be able to watch it like, you know, everybody's so friendly too. If you walk up and you're like, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. They'll love to tell you about it. But it, it immediately went cranberry juice. You just can't. Oh, yeah. That's what the kids said too. They're like, God, I just want cranberry juice right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like ocean spray sends you these little thought bubbles <laughs> in your head. <laughs> but it's super cool. It is super cool. So if you if you're interested, check out our Instagram page because I've been posting stuff on our Instagram. I have a, a live action video of the flooding yesterday. On the, oh, cool. So That's cool. awesome. On the Instagram page. So check out a Tulip Mama's podcast on Instagram if you want to check it out. You know, I'm obsessed. So I'll just keep taking pictures. That's good. 
I like it. That's how I roll. Just watch out for the bog monster. That's all I have. You to know, say. I am not even joking. All I think of is that, like, you read. We, that's the problem with reading too many books. I know. So every so often, you're like, yeah, there's something out here. And even <laughs> the book that I'm reading now for the next episode, there's something that lives in the woods. Uh, of course, the bogs are surrounded by the woods. My house is surrounded by the woods. This might not have been the best choice for me to read as a psychopath. You know, like maybe because I'm nuts. Maybe that wasn't a good choice, but you look around like so many things from so many of these books really do stick in your head. Like that's a mark of good writing. That's all I'm saying. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I love it. All right. So should we get started with this whole shebang? All right. Let's get started. All right, Margie, welcome back. Uh, should we start off with your book? What are you reading? Okay, I would totally love to. And I can I say once again, I picked this book by its cover because that's what kind of shallow human I am. But this book had a really cool cover. So, and it's got a girl on the front with all of these uh, cards with the Calaveras, the Katarina. For those of you that don't know, Katarina is, she ha- is the skeleton with the long dress, usually purple um, and a big giant purple hat with the feathers on it. And she's death, basically. In this book, she's death in the Calavera form. I can't think of the guy who drew her. Pescado is it, it's like Pescado. It's Pescado. I, ha, I saw a book about him too. It looked yeah, fabulous, but. it's such a cool picture that he drew. That was like yes, yeah, so that started it all. Anyway, so now she's kind of become a symbol of Dia de. La yes, I have her. She's sitting on my fireplace. P.S. Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, one of those things. My husband is like, "What is wrong with this woman that I'm married to? Why are there skeletons along my house? Because obviously, this is not a thing in Turkey." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this is I, my book is The Lotteria by Carla Arenas Valenti. And it is illustrated. I want to see, make sure I give a shout out on the illustrations because it's illustrated by Dana Sanmar. And the illustrations are really important to this book because they're there's a lot of them and they really help you kind of get a better clarify the image and they're really well done. So when I make sure I mention that as well. So this whole book is a deep dive into the idea of free will, which is kind of complex. And a lot of the people were like, "Mm, this is too much for kids. And there were times where I was like, Ooh, I I don't even know if I get what she's talking about, but take that out of the picture and kind of look, read the picture or uh, read the book for what it is. And don't get so wrapped up in the in the sort of underlying themes as a kid. And it's fantastic. Which kids are not going to get wrapped up in it. Right. So. Kids are not going to be down into the free will of things. It's a That's a little bit too deep. You know, it is what it is. But if you were a teacher, maybe you could talk about some of that stuff after they've read the I book. I think so. Right? I think if you were looking at it with older kids, if you definitely were looking at it, the, the main character is only 11. So it does kind of fall into a little bit more lower middle grade. Vocabulary is not hard. There's nothing about it that's complex. But the concept, you know, that that sort of life death concept um, or free will, excuse me. So we have death, which is the main character, and that's Katerina. And we have life, who is human, not human, but he doesn't he's not a skeleton. She's a skeleton, but he is not a skeleton. When they walk through the streets, you kind of get the vibe that she's like because of the illustrations, you get the vibe that it's a woman painted as to look like a skeleton. Oh, cool. Okay, Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's why the illustrations are so important because I'm like, how are people not looking at the skeleton and being like, oh, there's a skeleton, a skeleton walking through my village, right? So the illustrations really helped me as an old reader, but, and I'm sure it would help a kid as well. So death and life meet once a year 
you kind of get a vibe that there's like a romantic relationship between them. And they determine the fate of one person every year by playing the card game Lotteria. Yeah, that's so cool. Okay. I love this too, because it appeals to like the gamer kids. Yes. So first they select their person and then that person is Clara. So we see Clara gets selected. She's helping her parents. Her parents are in, they're in a village in Oaxaca. They have a small restaurant. She is the only daughter in the family or the only child in the family. And all of a sudden she wakes up and she has two silver streaks through her hair. And that's this to signify that she has been the one chosen and they will be playing for her fate. So this book is brand new. It came out in 2021, uh, September of 2021. Hot off the presses. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really great new book. And of course, I mean, shout out to my little old library. They have everything because I would never have found this book because it's so new. I didn't Mm -hmm. even see it when I was looking online and I, it was in with the new releases and I'm like, that looks like a fabulous middle grade read. And boy, was it. Okay. (laughs) So Clara has been marked for La Lotteria, which means that they are going to determine her life or death or her fate, whether she's going to die young or live a long life. If life wins, she'll have a long life. But if death wins, her life is over, obviously, but not quite so obviously because there's a killer twist that you're like, whoa, did not see that coming. There is a gray area to the win or loss chart. Mm. All right. So every card they reveal, so they go to a new location, they reveal a card and that's a clue to Claire's fate. Right. But Clara has no idea anything is happening. So the first, I would say like the first quarter of the book is all in reality. It's all takes place in Oaxaca. One of the first cards they draw is a scorpion. The next thing you know, Clara is going to go to her aunt's house and there is a scorpion that falls into her bag. Well, stay tuned because we know what's going to happen <laughs> because they've chosen that then the scorpion has to have something to do with this, right? Mm-hmm. Every time they picks up, pick a card, it shows up in Clara's story. Um, also, I am not going to tell you what happens in this first chunk, which I could to explain the rest of the story, but it was such a like jaw dropper moment. I was like, how what? <laughs> that um, I don't want to ruin that for anybody else. So fast forward a little bit so I don't give any spoilers. And her young cousin Esteban, who is also clairvoyant, comes to live with them. Now, everybody in their family has some sort of magical power of some sort, oh, but cool. Claire doesn't feel like she does. She doesn't really have it. She does. She's a, She can draw. That's her power, but she doesn't really think it's hers. And Esteban wakes up one night and he is lured into a magical cactus by the sound of his deceased mother. He thinks that she's in the cactus. So Clara has had said that her whole job in life is to protect him. So she follows him into the cactus. And that's when we really get this story rolling. So that's about a quarter of the way into the book. And that's when everything starts to happen. It turns out that they end up in the mythical kingdom of Las Poses. And every action has a price. If you want something, you have to pay for it in either bribe or trade or something. And Clara has to figure out how to do that, like how to negotiate and what she has to offer because they literally, she just crawled out of bed. She has nothing with her, crawled out of bed and into this magical cactus. Esteban was actually lured in by El Diablo. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So El Diablo is inside the magical cactus and he steals children and trades them for goods and services on the other side in Los Poses to the king, who's an evil king over there. But Esteban keeps getting drugged by these, which I was like, hello, these like cookies with tranquilizers in them. And I'm like, can I get me some of them, please? So they keep, every time he starts to like, his clairvoyancy makes his stomach hurt and he thinks he sees what's going to happen. They give him more of the tranquilizer cookies. And I'm like, I will take all of them, please. Thank you. That would be a nice Tuesday. (laughs) 
I'll take this. So he can't really figure out what's happening because mm-hmm. he's sort of sedated. Keeping him sedated, and, yeah. Right. And Clara is just out of reach. Every time she gets close to finding him, she makes a bribe with an animal or something like that. And she's close to finding him. Then he's gone before she can get there. So she's sort of chasing him through this magical kingdom. And she's, you know, there's dragons, there's giant spiders. There's like all these crazy things that seem to show up. Then we flip back to life and death playing their game in some way that shows up like the albino deer somehow shows up on the other side. It's so hard to track, but it is so crazy, interesting and fun. So eventually the game is over and Clara has to make a decision and what her fate is going to be. And is her fate only hers to make or does she use her free will to alter Esteban's fate is kind of the. Oh, yeah. The big question in the end. And just when you think it's over, it's totally not. And then you're like, it's dark. It's got a dark ending, which I love. And I haven't seen that in middle grade for a long time. It's got a dark with like a a, a little dash of hope, but not really. Not really. Because (laughs) there's some um, free will involved that you didn't see coming. I think that the dark ending was 100% warranted. I think you're going into this book knowing that something, like when you start reading it, there's a lot of heavy stuff happening, but it's not heavy in a way that's not a, that would not be appropriate for the age group. It's still a fantasy. Right-ish, but <laughs> I think it's fine. I just don't think that every story has to have a happy ending in middle grade. That's not reality. You know, like sometimes what might be, make a happy ending for one person isn't going to make it a happy ending for the other person. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And that's what this book plays with. And that's why I think it's really interesting. And maybe we're like, because it's so new, maybe we're going to see more of these. Maybe that's like, maybe going forward, we're going to see more books that kind of have this little bit of a twist on it, a little deeper thinking. At the end of the book, there is a huge epilogue and it kind of explains everything like everything you need to know with where do these myths come from where does the idea of free will that she sort of pulled from what where does that come from now i gotta tell you she did was it the story of dorian gray i think she said she pulled from yeah the picture of dorian gray was where oh, she pulled wow from. and yeah. i was like i did not see that but okay girl it's been a long time <laughs> since i read that so maybe <laughs> it's a good epilogue that you could totally use as a teaching resource in the end it was i just think it was so great i think it was a really great book it was really fun it's really hard to talk about it and not give anything away because i loved the fact that my jaw dropped at least a few t- a handful of times while reading this that to me is the mark of a good book. Uh, and especially as an adult reading a middle grade book, for me to have my jaw drop, like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great sign. Go read it. Go get it. Especially if you're interested in the culture, if you're interested in the mythology of uh, like Mexican mythology and the Day of the Dead and the Katarina and the life and death, definitely read it. Yeah. It's a great cultural study. Again, that was Lotteria and it's by Carla Arenas Valenti and the illustrations are by Dana Sanmar. I will say though, if do not look up La Lotteria because there is a different middle grade, uh, maybe middle grade YA book from a few years ago with that title. This is just Lotteria. Just, just, so, you know, and it's got a little girl on the cover with two silver swipes in her braids. Oh, cool. I will say one thing that I don't like when people are critiquing books for kids and they they say it's too complicated or the plot's too complicated because I think there's plenty of sophisticated readers out there. I think so too. Smarter you know? than us. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not a reader who's struggling, but definitely sophisticated readers would not have a problem following stuff. So if you are interested in some other cultures, Mm -hmm. then 
you need to be able to put your hat on to kind of dig a little deeper. There's a lot of Spanish in it. We've had a lot of books like that before, like um, Marcus Vega, Charlie Hernandez, all of those books too had a lot of Spanish in them. But again, it's all handled really well. Like it might not translate it directly. Sometimes it does translate it. She'll be like, did you just say blah, blah, blah. But sometimes it'll just answer the question so you can make inferences. And kids need that practice making inferences because as a teacher, as a homeschooler, as a parent, inferences are really um, we are really struggling with that because of the, uh, just because of the way our entertainment is now, kids aren't good at making inferences. And that's something that a lot of kids struggle with. So doing that with another language in a book, it's, it's a great, anytime you get that practice is always good. So yeah, I, I, I give it two thumbs up. What'd you read? All right. Well, I read CC Rios and the Desert of Souls by Kayla Rivera. I had been looking forward to reading this book. I think it came out in April, but it came out this year. So it's brand new also. This book is about Cece and her familia. Um, Again, this book, like Margie was saying in Lotteria, Cece Rios has a lot of Spanish words in it. And a lot of times it doesn't give you a translation. It just uses those words to describe things. But in the back of the book, there's a full glossary of the words. So if kids need help with that, it's there. But if they are fine with the words or know enough Spanish, then they're fine. And it's not like, you know, whole paragraphs or anything. It's still just like one word here and there dropped in or maybe uh, an expression or something. I really enjoyed that part in CC Rios. So this is a story about her familia, her mama, her papa, and her sister Juana. And they live in remote Tierra del Sol, which is land of the sun at the edge of a desert. Again, there's a lot of Mexican mythology in this story, similar to Lotteria. Tierra del Sol is a very dangerous place because during the Criatura months, uh, when powerful creatures roam the desert, it's a pretty dangerous place to be. And these creatures are, um, some of them are evil, some of them are part animal, part human. And so they all have different powers and different um, ways of like harming humans. And humans are referred to as naked man which I think is pretty funny. That's really funny for a kid's book too. Isn't it? I know. <laughs> that would I make me laugh funny. every time for a middle schooler. Yeah. And so um, the Criatoras, they normally live in Devil's Alley, but for months out of the year, they escape. And so the night before they escape, the town of Tierra del Sol has this huge ritual celebration where the powerful women in town dance to scare away the Criatoras and protect the town. I believe that my dancing could do that. I believe in myself. It is I like so that. cool. It's brilliant. Yeah. And so... Um, the humans in this book are descendants of the sun god. And so they use fire as their power against the Criatoras. And so Juana, who is Cece, our main character's sister, is one of the dancers. And she's very powerful. And Cece is very um, inspired by her and proud of her. And they're very close. But Cece has been ostracized by the town because when she was little, she got lost in the desert. She was playing with a bunch of kids and they went to go home and she got turned around and she got lost and she was saved by Titsi Middle, who is a Criatora, who is supposed to be the destroyer of man, but she was rescued by her. And while she was with her, Titsi Middle explained to her that she is also the protector of naked man's children. And so she takes her back to town. And when she gets, when they get back to town, then, of course, the whole town who hates Criatoras and is always trying to kill them captures Titsi Middle and is going to kill her. And Cece sets her free because she knows in her heart that she's not 
evil. And so this puts a divide in Cece's family, of course, because Juana is one of these warrior women who fight the creator. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. And her her mother was also one. Um, And now Cece is seen as being weak because she uh, let Titsi Middle go free. She saved her. She's like Switzerland. She's in the middle. She's trying to negotiate a peace treaty. She's not weak. She just makes good chocolate. And uh, Titsi Middle, as she's leaving, she blesses Cece, but the town sees it as a curse. So they think Cece is cursed. So she's always sort of been ostracized from that moment on in town. And so she's struggling between, you know, like what her town stands for and believes in and what she kind of knows in her heart. And she knows she's different somehow because she's uh, doesn't have that fire inside of her like all the other people do. And her sister Juana has the fire and she feels more connected to water and she cries a lot. And when they, she cries, they say she's weak. And so anyway, oh my God, this book sounds so good. It is so, it's so, so good. good. <laughs> okay. I want to read this really bad. That's just the setup. I mean, it's amazing. So, and the very beginning of the story is her lost in the desert with and and all that that story and then it fast forward to the time period that the book set in and it is such a great way of pulling you into the story and you know who cc is right away then you know her her heart so then during this big festival of course you know People are not nice to Cece and uh, she storms out of town and her sister Juana is scared for her. So she goes after her to, to bring her back into town because, of course, the criaturas are free in the desert now and it's not safe. And so while that's happening, El Sombreron comes, who is like the most one of the he's like second to the worst Creatura, evil Creatura. And he he was in Charlie Hernandez. Yes. And he's yeah. actually a big Dia de los Muertos character, I think, because he has the guitar. He's the one with the yeah. guitar and the sombrero. And yeah. Doesn't he ride a white horse or a black horse or something? He in comes this, in. In this story, he didn't ride a horse, but yeah. And he is known at, in this book anyway as the bride stealer. And he always steals the most beautiful woman from town, which of course, Juana. Cece's older of sister course. is the most beautiful woman in town and, and also very powerful. And so Juana, in an attempt to save Cece, she gets taken as the bride of El Sombrero. And so she's taken back to um, Devil's Alley. And uh, so then that sets Cece on this quest to save her sister because, of course, now the townspeople and her family are even more upset with her. Although her mother, I have to say, is very protective of her because her mother feels like she lost one daughter. I mean, everyone just acts like that Juana is gone. There's no getting her back, right? We don't even care. We're just going to let her go? Yeah, no, the town, because the town is so terrified of these criaturas that they don't think there's any way well, if they would have her. listened to Cece, they would have known that she has some power. No one ever listens to the younger <laughs> sister. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So Cece's parents are very upset. Her mother becomes overly protective of her because she wants, doesn't want to lose both of her daughters. The father stays away from the house a lot because he's so upset and drinks a lot. There is some in this story there, there are some tragedy in the family because everyone reacts to that loss in a different way. And so, and, but I also think in a very kind of authentic way, but they, she did get criticized a little bit for how the father behaves in this book, but they're all grieving. And I think that was an option of, you know, authentic option for him. So anyway, yeah, the mother becomes overprotective. The father is never home and drinks a lot. So Cece knows it's up to her and she, because of her experience, with Titi Middle knows that she can do something about this. So she sets out on a quest 
And in the meantime, she's also discovered she has an uh, aunt, Tia Katrina, which Katrina, again, is another symbol right. of Dia de los Muertos. But she had an aunt who also felt different and ostracized from town. And she ran away to become a bruja, which is a witch in Mexican lore. And, um, but, and sh- but that magic is forbidden. It's supposed to be dark magic because brujas can control criaturas. And so the, town, the people in her town think that that's a really bad thing. She has her aunt's diary. She found it in her parents' house. And she uses that sort of as her guide to figure out, because the only way you can get into Devil's Alley if, is if you win the Bruja fights, because then you get invited in. And so she thinks that's her only way to get in to help or to rescue her sister. But the problem is, is becoming a Bruja is pretty bad because you steal the soul of a criatura and then you can control them almost like a like a puppet or a zombie. Okay. Um, but she, of course, knows that criaturas aren't all bad. And so she, but she goes to find this bruja trainer that was in her aunt's book to figure out how to become a bruja. And that's like her first lesson she learns is that they're pretty terrible to the criaturas. And so she's not sure she can do that, but she knows she has to save her sister. So she tries, she's trying to figure out how to do this in her own way. And she stumbles upon Coyote, who is a criatura, and he's in the desert, and he has a soft spot for humans anyway. Somehow they befriend each other, and she explains what she's trying to do to save her sister, and he says he'll help her. So he helps her by by giving her his soul, and then she pretends to have control over him. But he does all the fighting in the Bruja fights for her, but he's doing it. So it's like a fake out. I like that. Yeah, Yeah, it's like a fake out. So she pretends that she's being a mean Bruja and controlling him, but really they're working together. And she's actually, by, by having his soul, instead of using it to control him, she uses it to give him strength. So she sends him all her strength while he's fighting. And it is such a cool thing. And Coyote is part human, part animal. They can, they can trans into animal form too but during the fights they're humans and the bruja fights uh is pretty amazing story that whole adventure in itself is pretty crazy and so it just goes on from there until she gets to the point where she can get into the devil's valley it's pretty cool it this whole thing is exactly what i needed oh my gosh it's such a I mean, even though there's some heavy issues in it, it's just handled in such like a, she is like light, you know, CC is everyone around her is sort of angry and dark and untrusting. And even on both sides, the creators and the humans are very, you know, untrusting of one another. And they have these um, folklore stories that go back generations and each side sort of has their own version. How perfectly appropriate for this time in the world. Oh my gosh, it's so, so good. And then here's Cece, who's kind of in the middle because she n- understands both sides and has now heard both stories. And so she can understand what, what really happened. And it's just amazing. It's such a great story, first of all, about how to be true to family, especially when they've kind of are letting you down and how to love your family, even if they're letting you down, but also being true to yourself and not letting any of that go and figuring out who you are and finding the strength in that. It's just, it was such a great adventure, a great story. I will say it also had an unusual ending, just like Lotteria did. Yeah. Was it dark? It's not dark, but it's, it has a positive ending. I will say that, but it leaves you like a cliffhanger. 
It doesn't totally follow it all the way to the end, but it leaves it in a place of strength. And I think it is so cool. I did read like one or two reviews where they're like, didn't like the ending, but I loved it. I thought it was great. And I also thought if there are more books, it'll be fun to explore kind of what happens. I loved it too, because this book definitely explores the power of women and I think that I like the ending because of that, because I felt like it leaves you in that place of power. And it was really cool. So, but it is a bit of a cliffhanger. I felt satisfied though. So that's all I have to say about that. But anyway, Cece Rios and the Desert of Souls. Love, love, loved it. Great adventure story. Great story for this time of year. And also representation for, you know, uh, Latinx Americans or Latinx people in America. I mean, I think it's great to see themselves and their mythology. We did that whole podcast on American mythology. I think this would fit like right in with it, even though a lot of it's based on Mexican mythology, but much of the United States used to be part of Mexico. And I feel like we forget that, that that is part of our American heritage also. And I I think it's so cool to have stories like this. And and we didn't, I think that's when we did Charlie Hernandez and the League of Shadows. And that's the first book of a two book series and the same thing. And that he actually was in America, but he was a American born Mexican child who was the first generation. So it was all very much like what you're saying. It was American mythology because it was, he was in America, but it's all, it was all, he fought the same, he fought the same, you know, a lot of the same bad guys from Mexican mythology, which I think is awesome. Right. I I think it's it's so great because of course we have a huge Latinx population and their stories are important too. And I, to the wonderful fabric that is the United States. So I just loved this book so much. I, it just made me so happy to read it. I mean, and I would love to see like, uh, I know there's been a lot of movies about Dia de los Muertos late recently, like the book of life and, um, Coco, but, and all of those have come out in the last like few years, I think, but I would love to see this as like, um, a real, like a live action movie. I think it would be so fun. Like very, I'm going to say it, I want to say it very Harry Potter esque, you know, because it's just such a cool adventure with characters that most people haven't seen really. Yeah. And she does take, um, Rivera does take license with a lot of the imagery to create her own world, which I think is so fascinating and so cool. Well, isn't that what mythology is? Like yeah. you, they give you the characters, you put them in your own, how they fit your needs. I think that's kind of what's so perfect. Yeah. A hundred percent. I just, I oh, just I'm so it. checking this one out. This one sounds really fantastic. It is. And it was um, like, it wasn't a complicated plot or anything, but it was just like a really fun adventure. I just loved it. Anyway, so that was Cece Rios and the Desert of Souls by Kayla Rivera. And Kayla is an interesting person too. the author, her parents, one was Latin American, one was British. So I love that because it always gives me hope that my crazy bicultural kids will have something good to come up with. (laughs) (laughs) Of course they will. Of course. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our pick six, six more Latinx hits for you. Yay. So here we go. So you got picture books, right? You're going to give us picture books and then I'm going to take YAMGN chapter book. So yeah, I know you're all over the place and I get picture books because that's my thing. (laughs) That's your jam. I know, right? Okay, go for it. Okay, 
So the picture books that I have for you that are related to uh, Latinx Heritage Month and also Dia de los Muertos. So starting out, I, um, I and I know this company is pretty well known, but I just love them. They're called Lil Libros, L-I-L-L-I-B-R-O-S. Oh, yeah, that. yeah, they have several really popular books out, but I think that's a great place to start if you're looking for picture books that have like English, Spanish, um, and then also Latinx culture. They're awesome. So they have two series that I really like. One is called La Catrina, which we've already talked about. Yes. La Catrina. She is a great a skeleton who wears a hat and a dress, and she is a big uh, symbol of Dia de los Muertos. And they have La Catrina board books, um, so a whole series of them. They have one on emotions, one on colors, one on vowels, because in English, Spanish, the vowels are pronounced a little bit differently, and one on numbers. And I just think they're adorable. Again, you know, it's, she's a skeleton, but she's a really beautifully drawn cartoon and it's just so cool. So it's like uh, most of the board books have like the Spanish words and then the English words and then a really beautiful image. A lot of them are, of course, relate to Dia de los Muertos and all the things that are associated with that, which is really cool. Lil Libros also has a uh, life of books that are about famous Latin Americans. Um, one of their ones that I've seen most places is Evelyn about the first Latina prima ballerina in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And um, and they have several others now, um, famous Latin Americans. So that's a really great series of books, too, for readers who want to know more about Latin Americans. And then also, um, there's another book, a picture book, it uh, came out in 2018. So it's a little bit older, but it's called Dreamers by Yuri Morales. Yuri is a well-known illustrator and artist, and this is her immigration story. And it has won a bazillion awards. So it, it the art is just gorgeous and fantastical and beautiful and so cool. And it's kind of about um, becoming creative in two languages and learning to love both languages. And it's about coming to the United States and having dreams. And I don't know, it's just a beautiful book, beautiful, beautiful book by Yuri Morales. That's Dreamers. And like I said, it's won a bunch of awards. So if you're looking for something that's easy to find and is out there, that's a good one. To sum up, I say check out lillibros.com. Um, for La Katrina books, The Life of books, and then Dreamers by Yuri Morales, and uh, which came out in 2018, is a gorgeous book. All three of those would be great reads during Latinx Heritage Month or anytime. What am I saying? Anytime. Anytime you like to read. Yes. Okay. So what do you have for us? Well, okay. For my YA pick, I wanted to I wanted to give a little sampling from all of the all of the age groups. So okay. um, since you covered picture books, and I. As you know, I believe picture books are good for any age. So that kind of covers anybody. You can use a picture book in any classroom. That's true. Trust me. Um, so my first book is a YA book. And I, I sent you this like months ago and I said, oh my God, I want to read this book, but it's a little too much for our age group that we usually cover, but it's called Fat Chance Charlie Vega by Crystal Maldonado. And that came out in February of this year and it's a young adult book. Um, and it's about Charlie Vega, who is young and ambitious and, and artistic and smart and funny and fat. And that seems to bother people, as she says, <laughs> but it doesn't bother her. It bothers her mother a lot, as we've seen. And, you know, like we've seen in Starfish, we have all yeah. these 
mothers that went, you know, are far more bothered by their fat daughters than their fat daughters. But Charlie is getting tired of the fact that the world seems to think she should be smaller and whiter and quieter and have straighter hair and be more American. Her best friend, Amelia, however, does not agree with that. And Amelia, even though happens to be slim and popular and athletic and all of these things. She thinks that Charlie's pretty awesome. But then Charlie begins a relationship with Brian and everything is going really well. And Charlie's like, this is the first great guy to kind of give her the time of day that she thinks is worthwhile to her. And then she finds out that Brian asked, actually asked out Amelia first and Amelia said no because she didn't want to, you know, because of Charlie. Uh So then Charlie wonders if she's just just second choice. And if anybody really sees her for who she is, then she decides that it's time for people to see her for who she really is, fat and all. So, you know, that's my book. I love it. So that's Fat Chance, Charlie Vega by Crystal Maldonado. My middle grade choice, I was totally torn between two. So I'm going to give you two real quick ones. One of is called The Sea-Ringed World, and that's Sacred Stories of the Americas by Maria Garcia Esperon, illustrated by Amanda Mejanos, and it's translated by David Bowles. Um, that came out in February of this year as well. And it's a collection of indigenous tales from primarily Latin America. Uh, it had mixed reviews. Some people say that each individual story is fantastic, but it's missing kind of like the connection to give people that are not of that culture a little bit more understanding of where to place it. You know what I mean? My assumption is like, if if it's a Sioux story, as opposed to a Wampanoag story, I kind of need a little bit more explanation so I can get a better understanding of it. But that's just my my kind of take on that. I have not read this book, but it does seem like a really great dive into indigenous cultures of Latin America and Native American as they kind of seek to understand their place in the universe and their relationships with the divine and sort of the origin of the world. So yeah, it's, it's, and those are hard stories to find. So that's Mm -hmm. a great one. That's called the sea ringed world. There's also another one called curse of the forgotten city by Alex Astor. And that came out in June of this year. It is a little bit more about like uh, witchcraft, especially like tourists trying to, become the powerful knight which with his best friend Engel and Melda are helping him you know that's sort of like what we read today sort of a little bit more witchy um there's the underwater calavera pirates cool those pieces are in it as well um can they stop the calavera pirates and protect the ancient relics that's called curse of the forgotten city by Alec Astor if you're looking for more of a fictional in addition to what we've talked about today in that middle grade it's worth checking out too. And the last one, I am ordering this one today because we are, we are my little guy and I read chapter books because um, he's only eight. And this one looks fabulous. And this is called Definitely Damangita. There are a series of the Definitely Damangita books. Okay. okay. So this is one of those. And it came out in March. Um, two of them came out in March, actually. This one I thought was really cool because it kind of deals with Don Quixote. Oh, cool. uh, it's called The Night of the Cape by Terry Castanesis. And it's illustrated by Fatima Anaya. It's a chapter book. So that's for our little younger guys and girls. And Damangita uh, devours books, especially the classics in Spanish that she used to read with her abuela before abuela moved away. Abuela brought these classic books with her from Cuba when she was a child. And she and Damangita read these together before she moved away. So Damangita feels like if she reads these books, continues to read these books, then it feels like Abuela is still there with her. Her favorite one of these is Don Quixote. And that's, you know, Don Quixote, the tale of the brave knight who tries to do good deeds. You know, the drill. So Damangita decides that she is going to become a knight and she's going to do good deeds around her community. And she's going to create a 
a grand adventure that she can then share with her abuela to kind of make that connection. Oh, I love but, that. Right. But then of course, some big dumb bully tells her that girls can't be knights. So she's decided she's going to prove him wrong and go on the hero's journey. Love it. So that's a middle grader or uh, excuse me, a chapter book. And that looks really cute. And that's uh, definitely Damangita. Night of the Cape is the one I was just talking about. And then there's, there's more of that one. So as chapter books do, they usually go in big series. So that's it. Those are my three picks. That awesome. was the Curse of the Forgotten City and the Sea Ringed World, which are the middle grade choices. Definitely Damangita was my chapter book. And Fat Chance Charlie Vega was my YA. Cool. Those are all right? sound fun. I can't wait. I kind of want to read the Curse of the Forgotten City right now. Yeah, right. It's like right in, in the world that your your brain is already. I know. I'm already in there right now. I'm so happy. So for our next episode, you know what it is. It's time. Halloween. Woo-hoo! Two Halloweenies. I know. Um, what are you reading? I'll be reading Scritch Scratch by Lindsay Curry. It's set in my favorite city, Chicago. I can't wait to read it. I'm so excited. What are you reading? Oh, okay. So this is what's cool. So you told me that you're like, I got this really great book and it's called Scritch Scratch and I can't wait to read it. And blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, funny. Again, I was at the library and I totally judged a book by its cover. And I picked up this book that's called What Lives in the Woods. And I'm like, this is brand new. It's just out. I can't wait to read it. Hi, it's the same author. So Lindsay Curry, it's for you, girl. We're coming for you. Whole episode. We, have, we totally mind melded on this. Um, it's the same. The Scritch Scratch is the precursor. It came out before What Lives in the Woods. And we're going to talk about both of them. And we might try to get a couple more in, but we, you know, it's the holiday season. We can't make that kind of commitment. If we get more in, we get more in. If we don't, we're going to be enjoying those too. Sounds wonderful. I can't wait. Well, that wraps up this episode. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review, subscribe, share us. We'll love you forever. And if you don't, we'll hunt you down. No, just leave us a good review because that's how people can find us. And not only do we want them to find us, we want them to find all of these amazing reads. So exactly. If you know anyone who needs help finding good books, send them our way. Yes. Um, And if you want to join us twice a month for our crazy kidlet discussions or just hear about bogs and things like that. Bogs and bog monsters. (laughs) Please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And if you want to know more about what's happening and you want to see pictures of them flooding cranberry bogs, go to Two Lit Mamas Podcast on Instagram or to TWO Lit Mamas on Facebook or on our website, www.twolipmamas.com, where you can also hear our episodes. Yeah, you can get our episodes, you get our show notes, you get any blogs that we managed to write. (laughs) And lists of our books. Yeah, send people our way. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.